Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of rumor in your window, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Mark Eng, Chinese-American Citizen Alliance of Orange County, California. Democrat activist and lobbyist Dan Johnson. Mike Miller, retired economist from DePaul University, joins us from the great state of Washington. And Chris Baronis, Republican from Aesop Communications in Chicago. Our program tonight coming to you from our own base at the beautiful studios of AM560 WIND in uh, Elk Grove Village. Nice to have you with us this evening. Our phone lines are open at 1-800-723-8289, 1-800-723-8289. We've got two guests in studio right across from me in hour number one. And in hour number two, we'll be joined by two people via Zoom uh, from Washington State and also from California. We begin tonight with uh, Dan Johnson and Chris Veronis. And if you're a longtime viewer or listener to this program, you know they have been on the air many, many, many years with me. They are longtime friends. They used to uh, write opposing uh, columns uh, when they were graduates or when they were students at the University of Illinois, and it's always great to have them back with us. Thank they you, have uh, grown up great politically. Thanks, uh, well, Bruce. some have grown up politically. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll let you figure out who they are. Uh, but I want to begin with the big political news, and that is uh, the, the upset uh, in Virginia, and it was an upset whenever, uh, uh, you know, a, a well-known name is defeated, and that uh, Glenn Youngkin is the new hot hot spot in the hot, start, hot shot in the Republican Party, and the almost win in the state of New Jersey. Chris Veronis, you're the closest thing to a card-carrying Republican uh, within my eyes shite right now, so uh, <laughs> what's your reaction to uh, that uh, decision by the voters? Um, well, Bruce, the, the truth is that um, a lot of people who come visit you around this table, um, members of the pundit class, yes. oftentimes <laughs> oversell the significance of everything special. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's true. Yeah. Um, I was going to say special elections and off-year mm-hmm. elections, right. and I think there's some truth to that, except last Tuesday. <laughs> okay. And why? I think last Tuesday, you're being fun. Far too generous, Bruce, in saying that the election results were confined to Virginia and New Jersey. In fact, this was a red wave, a long brewing backlash against the whack job left. And I think you see it coast to coast. I think you you see this. uh, This is um, um, expression of blue state anger that could not manifest itself in 2020 because everyone hated Trump. Okay, I want to turn now to Dan Johnson. And Dan, you are a professional politician because you're, you're a lobbyist. You do this all the time. So I you, do it for you a living. Look, you do it for a living. I so, enjoy it. And hey, I was a delegate to the DNC I in know. 2016. Big supporter of Bernie Sanders. We should mention that. I'm to still feeling listeners. the burn. So my question is, did you feel the burn last Tuesday it night or was singed. it heartburn? It hurt. It was a tough, tough night. Although, hey, we won New Jersey. Bigger margin in New Jersey than in Virginia. Here we go. Election night notwithstanding, (laughs) we do need to count the votes. And the red wave narrative, fun though it may be for the minority party to embrace, like a desperate swimmer looking for something to cling on to, some source of life, 
Yes. Terry okay. McAuliffe lost in Virginia. Okay. Now, where would you, I'm going to go back to you, uh, Chris. You, you say that, that you know, it, it was widespread. And uh, I, I haven't heard many pundits say that uh, because. You're again, being generous. Well, because, I mean, you didn't make it in New Jersey. It was, it was a hell of a race. It looked like. Right, stand- and, and it looked, and it looked for most of the night, it looked like uh, Phil true. Murphy was uh, going to retirement. But what happened? First of all, big props to you, Dan. You've upped your game for whistling past the graveyard. <laughs> I mean, my, my compliments. <laughs> I should take notes sometimes. <laughs> Elections happen to swing often. Um, the, I, I think it's not an understatement at all to say that this is a red wave, especially in Virginia. Youngkin um, did well in every demographic group. You had um, African-American lieutenant governor get elected. You had a Latina uh, attorney, uh, general. attorney general get elected. They won back the House of Delegates. In um, New Jersey, no one saw that. No one saw that coming. You had a truck driver who spent $153 in unseated the Senate president. Um, uh, the Murphy did um, poorest among white working class districts. In uh, Buffalo, you had a mayor that got knocked out in the primary by a socialist and mounted a write-in campaign and won. You had Long Island voting in Republicans for the first time. You had a crazy anarchist running for city attorney in Seattle whose opponent, a Republican candidate, got the endorsement from the Democratic, two previous Democratic yep. governors. Go in your lock, yep. Um, because um, the Democratic nominee said that property destruction is a moral imperative and that the police chief, after he sent out a, a Christmas tweet, said you could eat COVID-tainted um, feces. Um, you had the 118, um, the 118th House District in, in Texas. Um, now, Bruce, technically, let me just interrupt for a minute. It was a Latino okay. district bordering Mexico, so how, won by a Republican. Would you, let's, go, let's, go, let's go back to Dan now. Just with all due respect. I think it's fair to say red wave. Okay. <laughs> with all due respect. Is it often, wave? is a wave when you're talking about a Texas state rep district? Is that the, the, typically the, the, what you is, talk about for a wave? The, but this I was, is a 60% Latino district. Could, one second, one second. Me, Go ahead. If I could pivot for a second. Dan. When you said the biggest political news, well, I assumed you meant how Democrats who are better at government delivered the biggest infrastructure investment in a century. That's the next segment. I think, oh, we'll, we'll get there then. <laughs> We're almost there. I thought that's what we, we were going to can't wait to get there, about. Bruce. My mistake. My mistake. Do you disagree, Do you disagree with anything? Thing that Chris said about the specific cherry-picked races that he chose to bring up. No, I think um, one point he did make, which is legit. I mean, you had a Democrat win in New York City. That was not a surprise. Yeah, and, and you know the other thing, which maybe you'll appreciate, maybe Chris will appreciate. What a night for instant runoff voting. Yeah, rank choice right. voting. New York City, Minneapolis, Dan's Minnesota. In fact, uh, uh, Youngkin was nominated using ranked choice voting in the Virginia mm-hmm. Republican Convention. And that's a pet what, topic of yours. We I love it when you get to vote by numbers what, on your wouldn't ballot. It be First a, choice, second choice, third choice. It's the wave of the bipartisan future. Wouldn't it be a fantastic thing if Republicans used ranked choice voting to elect more Yunkin-type Republicans Got to it. defeat Democrats? You know, 
I mean, like, who knew? Who I knew ranked choice voting? I don't know if Donald Trump is what is what Youngkin did. Is this the template, Chris, for how a Republican wins? Because he didn't he didn't tick off the Trump people. He didn't get the embrace from Trump, notwithstanding what Terry McAuliffe was trying to sell. Is that the way you do it? You got to keep them at arm's length. You you can't do a big. Uh, you know, a kissy, kissy face with the kid. That's the question. We do have to pause. Uh, 1-800-723-8029. I know the armchair political operatives are out there. If you want to join, offer your two cents on what happened to Virginia and elsewhere around the country. And also the rest of the victors in Virginia. It wasn't just the governor. Back shortly. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces. Just by giving her a bear hug, she masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. 
Yeah, they haven't done any bit on that. Bruce Dumont, thanks very much for joining us this evening. 1-800-723-8289. Dan Johnson and uh, Chris Veronis join me in studio, and we'll get to other guests in hour number two. Uh, I want to come back to Virginia because we've talked about, obviously, the governor's race. But it, it really was the the issue of education and the way that the Republicans were able to market that issue. And a question that I've asked several weeks on this program in recent days, recent Sundays, is have the Republicans finally figured out a way to make education an issue that will get people excited and get them to the polls? Because they've talked about that issue for about 25 years now, and it never hits home on Election Day. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how repeatable uh, the Yunkin win is uh, nationwide simply because he didn't have a primary. Uh, in fact, that, as Dan mentioned, um, the instant runoff was designed to have one person emerge, mm-hmm. uh, Glenn Youngkin. Yeah. Um, with with majority and, support. The nice thing about ranked choice voting is you got to win a majority. You can't slip by with 30%. The majority mm-hmm. splits their vote. Um, and, and so, and Donald Trump chose not to come to the state, even though Terry, Terry McAuliffe, Joe Biden, all Democrats wanted him to come. Um, he was a likable guy, a likable, innocuous, his style, very Mitt Romney, c- c- kind of vanilla, to be yes, honest. Yes, absolutely. Um, but, but that was enough because I think what he did is he showed how to thread the needle between disparate coalitions, which is rural um, uh, uh, non-college educated whites and suburban voters, those it, wealthy, well, but wealthy it, voters. But in this case, specifically in Virginia, um, the fact that Donald Trump didn't come in. Dan, I want to ask you. Yeah. Um, is Donald Trump getting smarter? I mean, literally, t- yeah. take us inside what you think those conversations were like. Do you think he wanted to go? Of course. Was he asked to go? He was he told have... to stay home? I mean, he... did, did did his advisors say, uh, you know, Mr. President, don't, certain places you don't go because we want to win and you're a detriment. Can anybody say that to Donald Trump? It must have happened. I mean, you have to think he's as narcissistic as you get, right? If there's any stage he wants to be on it. But somehow he yes. did show the discipline not to show. What does that What does that say? To you for future races in 2022 because everybody and their brother who was a Democrat they were cheering for Donald Trump to get on the stage if if we are seeing a more disciplined Donald Trump yeah are you guys in trouble because you're not going to be able to make that case elsewhere just as Terry McAuliffe was not able to make it in Virginia uh, yes I mean Donald Trump is dumb like a fox you don't get a nominated and elected president without being a very savvy, sophisticated political operative. And Donald Trump plays boorish, but he's a very sophisticated person. You also don't hold your base after you lose an election. <laughs> well, he's, I think, from the seditionist mob perspective, they're with him. They are locked and loaded with Donald Trump for his reelect. I don't think there's any question of that. But I would say... Youngkin showed some discipline, and Trump must have as well. He didn't show up. He reminded me a little bit of former Illinois Governor Bruce Rauner as a candidate, another really rich guy that appealed in the campaign mode to the wealthy base, but also the non-college educated, rural, more populist base, and managed to thread that needle. 
Mm-hmm. Harder to do that when you govern. So we'll see what happens. And in Virginia, it's not as fair because, you know, there are term limits. So he gets one shot and he's done. There, but there, but it's interesting. Actually been... it'll be interesting to see, I think, whether he can thread that needle and be as popular in the Republican primary to appeal to both sides of that, that big tent after he's had to govern for a while. There, there's been reporting that um, actually... Glenn Youngkin and Donald Trump have been talking consistently throughout the election quite a bit. Um, and Quietly. M- and maybe maybe <laughs> Trump felt like he was involved. And maybe um, uh, Youngkin found the way to be the horse whisperer. Or it just goes to show you that a hug could be a show of affection, but it can also restrict movement. And uh, Youngkin was smart enough to understand there's got to be a middle way between um, no, I hate Trump, and yes, I embrace him. If this election shows, and we won't know it right away, we may never know it, if this election shows a maturity on the part of Donald Trump to know that the best way he can win is by keeping his mouth shut and some of the people he really wants to win at arm's length, if he can learn that, which a really (laughs) smart politician should be able to learn. If he can learn that, then I would say it's Katie by the door in 2022. Well, I think well, you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. It, it remains to be seen. I, I think David Axelrod said a presidential election is the MRI for the soul. Yeah. T- Twitter was Donald Trump's yeah. MRI. You, yeah. you knew what he was yeah. thinking, feeling, uh, behaving. Um, we don't have that anymore. And there's not a lot of reporting about what's been going on in Mar-a-Lago. Well, I, I, it's uh, it, it's a, a difficult scenario for me to envision um him not trying to whip up a crowd um about his favorite hobby horses it, that, that's difficult that's it's when you too say BC. it's interesting when you say there hasn't been a lot of reporting on what's going on at mar-a-lago i'm going to add another thing there wasn't much reporting on what was going on in new jersey i mean in the weeks and on the day before that's the true. election yeah nobody Nobody whose job it is to professionally watch politics was talking about what might happen in New Jersey. And half of the news executives in American media (laughs) probably live there. Yes, true. That's true. Well, what does that say? What does that say to I mean, just as as a as a political operative, I mean, is is this an example of the national news media showing bias or is it showing a laziness? and not really knowing what's going on in their own backyard. I would say it reminded me a little bit of all the talk that animated the mob of the red mirage on election day, because election day votes skew red. Mm -hmm. But it takes a few days or a week or two for those early absentee votes, which skew blue, to come in. And so the big lie about they're stealing this or they're stealing that, because on election night... The results skew red, and it similarly happened in New Jersey. It's just a structure but, but of they American were, but politics. They were, but they were not necessarily reporting that. And I was switching from channels; they were not necessarily reporting that. I mean, when, that's when, true. When, when I went to bed, and I don't know how late it was, but I mean, it was eighty-nine percent of the vote had yeah. been counted, and this was it, after the polls closed for. For, for two hours. Yeah. And then when I woke up in the morning, it was still 89% yeah. of the vote. What were they doing uh, overnight? I, I think the answer is uh, pretty simple. It's effete, corrupt media. 
um, just uh, assuming it's going to go about the just way. Lazy media. Well, I mean, look, about lazy media. Sure, sure. I, yeah. There's no question that journalism isn't what it used to be. You don't have the shoe leather types that want to go out and talk to the man in the street anymore. There, there's none of that. Well, they you, do. You, you, on you, the you night before the it. election, they do. You can even hear it in the inflection in some of, of the commentators' voices. They're in disbelief that the election can go in the other way that they didn't foresee. It's insulting. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. And um, even, even when you get to 89%, there's still this denial. If you tune into CNN, mm -hmm. MSNBC, there's still this denial about the inevitable truth. It's really disgusting. It's, I would it's a really say a sad I, state. I would include Fox in that uh, on this. I'll, I'll give you that because they they they, I'll give they you were that. at eighty nine percent and they were going to Bill Hemmer all night and no one was asking the question. Well, well, where are these votes? Why is it taking so long to get these votes? Nobody was asking. Hey, what's going on here? Fox? Well, it's weird because <clears throat> this is not unknown, right? We do early and absentee votes on a regular basis in the majority right. of states now, and yet it's not conventional wisdom that they're every time in virginia the other thing we haven't talked about is that we, you were talking about you know the education issue and whether or not glenn youngkin uh was whipping that issue i would say that when you analyze that race it was terry mcauliffe's missteps yeah, yeah. that brought the issue of education it wasn't yeah. anything that glenn youngkin was saying it was when terry mcauliffe said parents don't have any right to be in the classroom well it was or a mix when, of both. Or when he or when he brings in uh uh randy weingartner yeah. to close his campaign yeah. i mean dan i mean you're a democrat are yeah. those i mean that's pretty stupid both of those things are stupid yes yes that's I, how you lose elections yes yes i think uh there is a strain of thinking in in my party that we kind of default to our teacher union friends when we think about schools. Right. And that is to our detriment. That's to our detriment. I think Republicans, they don't have that problem. Right. They think about uh, to, m the Republican problem on education is a sort of hostility to the notion of public schools generally, which that's I think not what Yunkin. Well, no, no, he, he thread the needle. Mm -hmm. That's why I think to Bruce's point, that's new and good for him mm -hmm. to find a way to be. I'm for public schools because who doesn't like good quality public services with. But that's not typically but where Republicans you, have been. But when you factor oh, in yeah. manga yeah. mandates and masks right. into the general discussion of education, you, you, you bring it together with with health health issues basically to um, shut down schools arbitrarily and say no we're gonna do it especially in the counties where the teachers unions have got the most power like Fairfax County and then to bring in the union president the the, the puppet master behind yes. the whole thing is basically like an F you to those voters um, and and Terry McAuliffe Terry McAuliffe thought this was going to be a base election, mm -hmm. and he and and to his credit, he did turn out the vote. Republicans were more angry, independents were more angry, and he lost. And right. good riddance too. When we come back, you we'll talk uh, about other issues. Uh, we'll also take a moment to talk about the lieutenant governor, uh, who has a future in the party based on all the media that she uh, received, and also the uh, new attorney general of the Commonwealth of Virginia, Bruce Dumont, back shortly. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy. 
Or you, your best man. Your worst man. You, your dog walker. Your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm gonna make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor, check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back. We thank you very much for joining us tonight. And we're going to take a moment to let each of our guests take a moment to introduce themselves to you. And we're going to begin with Chris Veronis. I'm Chris Veronis. I am a principal of ESOP Communications Group. It's a public affairs and communications firm um, that had been a career public relations professional. Um, first met Dan um, in the mid-90s at the University of, the of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. Uh, where we knew each other in student government and then the school newspaper, The Daily Illini. Did you ever run against each other for any office in college? No, but I did defund Dan's projects in student <laughs> government. Oh, <He> really? <laughs> yeah. I, was, uh, I lobbied him 
and he said, "Go pound sand." <laughs> I'm going to zero you out. So who who what were you running for? Were you running for something? I was a I was a lobbyist. I didn't run. You were a lobbyist in college. I was for I, a it, college it, I, well, for office. The, you had a lobbyist for its minimal budget. Oh, I'm sure. I lobbied to get some recycling containers on the quad. Oh, left-wing communist. I know, honestly, right? <laughs> and I got it. Now, guess- was, now, was, now uh, uh, Chris has described himself as a Republican. Yeah. He's described himself as a conservative Republican. Not more, necessarily more, more tonight. More conservative than Republican. More conservative than Republican. However, longtime listeners may know you were not a fan of Donald Trump, not in the past, not when he was president, and not now. So, But you're still a Republican. Was he a Republican? What sort of Republican was he in college? I think he was a capital R Republican. Okay, big but a, but a, a, an intellect driven primarily by the conservative intellectual movement, but also happy to to get in the mud as a full on hack, right? Uh, well, we all have you have to be if you want to be. What, in, and who was what, your what, horse in college? Well, I didn't join the Democratic Party until well after law school. You were a socialist? What, 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 what I, I was a, an independent. Uh, I liked Ralph Nader in yeah. 2000. I thought the two-party system was a that's corrupt when, that's, joke. That's when we met. That's right. That's in first 2000, time. when you were for, for Ralph Nader. And you were kind enough, like most media wasn't. But yeah. you said, we want somebody from the Nader campaign to show yes, up. Yes, and you came. And in an and act of total selfishness, I said, I'll do it. You did. Right. Yeah. And that started your career. Yes. Well, certainly. And we, later on, I, I went to Milwaukee where, where Nader was uh, yeah. appearing, and uh, you got me a good seat. I, I did. I put that rally together. Okay. Well, very Dan, good. Dan, yeah, Dan as I recall. But I, I didn't join until 03. At what point, th- this is a little off topic for tonight, but I do want to talk yeah. about it right now. At what point, I mean, we know if regular listeners to this program know and recognize your voice, they will know that you were not a Joe Biden fan. You were for Bernie Sanders. Actually, you were a strong actually, Bernie San- I, w- I flipped in 20. I was for Elizabeth Warren. Okay, but you were not a big Biden No, fan. I mean, I'm, I'm, So my yeah. question to you is, uh, his presidency is not going real well. At least that's my assessment from the outside. Yeah. It's not going horribly like some Republicans think. It's not going very well. He's an older man. He's got to get through 2020. It doesn't look like the Democrats are going to do real well in 2022. So my question to you is, at what point will the movement begin to dump Joe Biden? And who is the person that's out there that potentially could derail him in 2024? I think you are misreading the Democratic Party electorate. I think progressives before. Yes. So I think <laughs> I think progressives are delighted with Joe Biden. I think assuming the Build Back Better bill passes in a week or two or whenever they said it will. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're ecstatic. He has been phenomenal. He has embraced a lot of what we wanted. Not everything, but hey, them's the breaks, right? You don't win the primary, you don't get it all. But he has been a listener. He's uh, united the wings of the party. The infrastructure bill, biggest in a century just passed with a a lot of amazingly great stuff. And assuming, you know, the child tax credit, hearing aids for Medicare, a billion other amazing things, assuming that passes. I will give you this, Bruce. If that falls off the rails, 
if that doesn't pass, mm -hmm. then people are going to be unhappy. But right now, progressives yeah. are largely very happy with Joe Biden, and we think he's doing a phenomenal job. Okay, by the way, uh, I want to mention that uh, uh, the bill that has passed, the House and Senate, yes. and the president will soon sign, yes. has uh, 100 uh, and, and uh, $111 billion for roads, bridges, and uh, transfer, trans transformation. Transportation, six hundred and sixty billion, six sixty billion for railways, sixty-five billion to expand access to high-speed internet, and fifty billion dollars to protect against droughts, floods, and wildfires. It's going to be transformed. That's what we already know. It's the investment in our country. Let, let me let me give you one. But the, talking the point. social piece of this is still not done yet not and this done. is where this was a lot of progressives trust. a lot of trust uh, right okay and nancy pelosi listen she's a hell of a speaker she delivered on this delivered which wasn't easy but delivered when they wanted pass on the same day well you can't really do that but she did and i would say this this is my my big pitch which is tough for republicans to swallow Mr. Art of the Deal, Donald Trump, <laughs> Mr. Infrastructure, I'm going to build everything. Joe Biden and the Democrats delivered on the rhetoric of Donald Trump in a way that Donald Trump couldn't and can't and won't. And it just proves Democrats are better at this government thing than Republicans are. Um, Chris Veronis. I think the passage of the infrastructure bill basically puts the nail in the coffin of the social spending reconciliation part two bill. Um, this was never going to see the light of day. I mean, you've had Republicans. What about, had Republicans what about who supported his, what the infrastructure bill? What about his, let, let's, let's separate this. What about the items that I just mentioned that are in the final yeah. bill and the president yeah. is going to sign? Right. These R things R are going to happen. Republicans are supportive of that and actually conservatives. 13 of them. No, they're can, not. Can, this is owned by the D's. The Democrats passed it. <clears throat> Republicans couldn't. It's going to be but the progressive, the, the progressive Democrats in the House, the six progressive Democrats, AOL, AOC, and the squad, yeah. they all voted against this. Thirteen Republicans, including Adam Kinzinger from Illinois, voted yes. Yeah. They made the difference. Um, say it, it. Say it. They made the difference. No doubt. Okay. No doubt. Right. The math is the math. Right. But I, I mean, it on the Build Back Better bill, it's going to be an amazing two weeks. Because okay. ultimately, those progressives trusted that mansion and cinema are not going to tank the rest of the, the of the president's agenda. Okay. Biden's got Chris. his bill. Biden's got his bill. Um, this, this reconciliation bill will not pass. Um, and the, for some reason, the media spotlight seems to go on mansion and cinema. Uh, they're doing a big favor for other members who haven't peeked their head ab uh, above the trench. There's there's a lot of concern and um, that you're going to pass something on the order of like three trillion dollars in reconciliation mm -hmm. on, a, on a party line vote. It's absurd. Half, like, the, all, half all, the military all budget. All, half the military. All along, all along. Hearing aids. The the, the, the the whole infrastructure build back better. Um, no one knew what was in it. You didn't have one defining issue 
Um, it was it's just everything that was just larded into child um, tax which, credit, which, which made it family. which made it hard to sell. Um, and, and then in a panic move after a red wave in the election, you, you, you found the votes to pass the bill. Um, it's fine. It's good. Um, it's a triumph. And, it's and, a generational. And I, and I will give you. I, I will Here's give you one thing. Donald Trump couldn't do it. Should have. Can't do it. Should have put his chips into this. He here is here. Here are some of the things that are in the bill. You know, the Republicans have been complaining about there's things in here that don't belong in here. Specifically, they were talking about uh, the the human infrastructure, uh, the schools, and the and the uh, uh, pay for maternity and all that stuff. But listen to what's in the bill. And again, I don't. I have no idea what this is because I don't think half the people who voted for it know what's in it at all. Uh, salmon recovery, whatever that means. I don't know. Wildlife crossing safety research. I don't know what that means. Is it stop signs for deer crossings? I don't know. They do build money, bridges. Money for healthy streets to expand tree cover, more trees. Those are gorgeous neighborhoods. And here, as a special sop to the President of the United States himself, more food and beverage service on Amtrak routes. You better believe it. Yeah. You better believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Amtrak yeah. all day long, One, baby. $1.7... $66 1. for trains. I know. And we are finally going to quit being so pathetically lame with our trains. You know, Donald Trump had a great line. He said, you know, you go to China, you go to Europe, they got these fast trains. Hearts go choo-choo-choo-choo. He's right. But you know, Joe Biden got it done. We're investing in you're, our trade. You're also forgetting. And it's popular. Um, it's popular. In his child care, agree with that. Child yeah. care provision that um, the Pelosi put into the bill. Um, That's coming, you, not you, yet. You're, you're not. That's, that didn't you, make it into you, infrastructure. First of all, there's a prohibition against families, um, like say like a, an uncle or an extended member of the family. They're um, disallowed to get any money under this child care credit. They're also prohibiting any child care going to places of worship, which is about half of all child care, which is really scary to think that um, a party's going to come in and wage its own cultural war on institutions that, that uh, make a difference here and that should be at the table, but not if the Democrats are in power. When we come back, we're also going to talk about an idea. We'll see whether this really happens where those uh, illegally illegal parents who lost their children are going to get a big payout from the federal government over $450,000. <laughs> Jill, why don't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Song again. Here's that song again. For the hundredth time today, here's that song again. It's gonna be stuck in your head all day. Here's that song again. It will make you cray cray. You love your kids enough to watch that TV show a bajillion times. Love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat for their age and size. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. 
Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, <laughs> tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back. We have one more segment in this hour and then another... Uh, Segment coming up in hour number two. In hour number two, we will be joined by Mike Miller, who is a frequent guest on this program. He recently retired from DePaul University. He's an economist. He will join us from his new home in the great state of Washington. Uh, if it stops raining out there and is not leaking, his roof is not leaking. Mark Eng also joins us. He is making his maiden voyage. He is with the Chinese American Citizens Alliance in Orange County, California, and we'll get a Chinese-American perspective on what's happening in the news. He's got lots to say about what happened last week as well. Um, the, uh, the parents of children uh, who tried to come to the United States illegally, who were stopped at the border under the Trump administration, some of their children were lost, not necessarily died. They were separated. Uh, from their parents, and they have not been able to get back together again. And there is a move afoot by the Justice Department, allegedly, that uh, those folks are going to be tracked down and given $450,000 is the operating figure, although the president would not confirm that figure in a press conference last week. But there is a fairly large sum that's going to be given to them as compensation uh, for their lost child, 
And uh, part of the rationale is that if those people, those parents, were to file suit, they have. Uh, they ha- well, they, yeah, if they have filed suit, that the the payout ordered by a judge considerably could be a lot more than that, and so 450 or again whatever the magic number is might be a more um, uh, cost-effective way to deal with that issue. Now Republicans have come vehemently against the idea of anyone uh, who is uh, an illegal immigrant having a right to sue the government and ask for $450,000 uh, for losing their child when they made the decision to run for the border without being able to protect their children. So, Chris, from a Republican perspective, is this is this something worth fighting for? On the, on the appearance, it doesn't look like something that would necessarily have popular appeal, but when you look deep into the subject, maybe it's a wise financial decision to make. Um, <clears throat> I'm someone who's um, long supported immigration reform yep. and, and recently, over the last few years, have taken on more restrictionist position. Um, and I think the two can, can go together, quite honestly. Um, I, I generally don't like the idea of going after the children of... Uh, people who make this decision, um, Trump himself, for example, believed in the in the DACA. Um, in principle, he believed in DACA. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I uh, four hundred fifty thousand sounds um, pretty. I, I mean, I, I don't know what what price tag you put on a lost child. I do know that a judge could do ten times that. Yes. So pick your poison, and and quite frankly, this is one of these issues. That, that gets um, outsized attention relative to everything else. Um, we have a broken immigration system. Okay, l- let me interrupt just for a second. I want to get the Democratic perspective. Yeah. Because as a Democrat, as a father of four, yeah. where do you come down on this issue? And and does, does a parent who decides to try to break into America illegally, bringing their children along, knowing there is damage, do they deserve financial compensation if the receiving entity system that we have in place uh, loses a child for malfeasance, whatever you want to call it? Intentionally strips children from their parents, which was just a decision by the Trump administration driven by one of the most racist officials to ever serve in the Oval Office, Stephen Miller, where the cruelty is the point. Or the you, cruelty you realize that was a deterrent continuation of the Obama in order matters. to ensure that parents wouldn't immigrate to flee poverty or gang violence or whatever, but to intentionally strip children from their parents and then do you lose think they track. De- do you think they deliberately lost track of them? I think they deliberately didn't care to keep track. Yes, I think they clearly. Do you, any, do, you I, I, do you have any evidence of that? That's your belief. I mean, that's, I, that's a very devastating thing for you to say they, about, uh, just a minute, yeah. about a federal program. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and you will stand here and look me in the eye and believe that uh, the administration deliberately tried to lose children during the separation process. I think, and I have no evidence, just my right. guess. Okay. But what I think is that the Trump administration, driven by a fundamentally 
racist desire to impose cruelty on immigrants deliberately said, hey, we, it's clearly not a priority to treat these human beings with any of the dignity they So they deserve, deserve money. Well, they that, deserve a payout. There's no question legally that when the okay. government or any entity damages, mm -hmm. essentially kidnaps children, of course, that policy turns out to be expensive to taxpayers. So the next time there's any sort of xenophobic administration in office or people thinking about supporting that, keep in mind, those policies are expensive to taxpayers. Because when you intentionally inflict pain on people, immigrant or no, you ultimately will pay for that damage. And Rich, the 450000 I think that, I should... Is that, a, I, is, that a, is that an issue, the way Dan explains it, is that an issue that a Republican can come out a winner in the court of public opinion? Uh, on this specific issue? Yeah, very specific, I, uh, yeah. Dan's treatment of the <clears throat> issue could be an issue, and I think it goes to, and I know we're going to get into this in hour number two, mm -hmm. uh, it goes to this sort of... Um, Everything is racist. It surrounds us. Um, we're swimming in it. We just don't even realize it. Where, um, like, and I don't, I didn't agree with a lot of what Trump did, but I do know that the policy was to send a signal to Central America, primarily, um, don't come here. Okay, but and and you could take that as it was it was driven by racist and it was a racist policy. Does that policy? Does that policy now become a magnet? That's the question. We'll discuss it in hour number two. Chris Veronis and Dan Johnson join Bruce Dumont in the next hour of Beyond the Beltway. Don't go away. One forty-five over ninety-two. You can get one eighty over one eleven. One hundred and eighty-two over a hundred, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself. I didn't. Now I do. Uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. 
Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. Bruce Dumont back for hour number two of Beyond the Beltway. Hopefully uh, you turned your uh, clock back last night or... Maybe you're hearing hour number one of our show. I don't know. But it's nice to have you with us in studio with me. We have two old friends. It's been a long time since they've been together, and uh, it's good to have them back. Chris Veronis is here. He is our Republican, and Dan Johnson is our Democrat. And we are now joined uh, by our uh, friends across the uh, the Zoom land. Uh, joining us in uh, California is Mark Eng. He is with the Chinese American Citizens Alliance from Orange County. Nice to have you with us, Mark, on Beyond the Beltway. And also with us... Thanks for having me, Bruce. We also have Mike Miller, who's an economist. Uh, from DePaul University. I said in the first hour that he was retired. He's not retired. He is living uh, in a different part of the country. How do you enjoy your uh, life in the great state of Washington, uh, Mike? Oh, it's just, it's outstanding, Bruce. Uh, um, our whole family is together, which was one of the main reasons I moved. And uh -huh. to get up each day and drive one mile and see the ice-covered or snow-covered Mount Baker and and look south and see the Chuckanut and look, look north and see the, the coastal mountains of Canada. It's just breathtaking. No smog? No smog. No smog. No. <laughs> but it rains a lot. I but mean, this is the rainy lot, season. Yeah. Yes, and, I know. Uh, I knew that coming out. And I, I'm more than willing to put up with some rain. But right. I won't have 26 below nor 95 above. Did that's you great. Did you say it was the Chuckanut? Yeah, that's the name of the mountain that's uh, between Bellingham and down towards Bow and Seattle. Words we down don't know area. in Chicago. It's a, a mountain range called the Chuckanut. The Chuckanut. And if you live yeah. there, you're a, you're you're a Chuckanut. Yeah. Question to you, Mike. Uh, before we get into other <laughs> yes. world uh, issues, other than the, the geography around the great uh, city where you reside, um, last week uh, there were good numbers uh, for. For, for jobs in the United States. Take, you, you, have, you have dissected many bad reports uh, in the history mm -hmm. of your appearance on this program. What is your assessment of uh, what happened uh, this past week, and what does it say about the economy and where the economy might be going? Well, you know, I often told you when I first started, like eight or nine years ago, that mm -hmm. I'm an economist first and a Republican and a conservative second. Uh -huh. So I'm going to evaluate the economy, not based upon Mr. Biden, who I did not want to be president. But right. I think it's a pretty good report. Uh, the economy is is moving along just fine. It's growing. Uh, I know 2% growth is not very strong, but it's very close to its potential. Uh, the, the growth rate in jobs 
is sufficient to lower the unemployment rate, but not be so high that it's causing major pr uh, pressures on the economy mm -hmm. in terms of inflation. Any inflation we're having is not tied to the workers getting raises, it's tied to other things. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and we don't want to have too many jobs created. I mean, we, because that can be over time can be inflationary. So I thought, I thought it was a good jobs report. I think the last, I know the last one was uh, rather weak, but mm -hmm. um, no, I, I think uh, the economy is doing fine. It looks like the fourth quarter will be stronger than the third. And the third was weak because I think predominantly the people were afraid to go out and, and there's more shutdowns. And, and so it's almost like a self-inflicted slowdown because uh, most economists expected the economy this quarter to grow at about eight or nine percent. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then COVID uh, Delta came up on upon us. And we changed our behavior. And I think that's what made the economy, the economy slow down. Mm -hmm. Mark Eng also joins us. Uh, Mark, uh, let me ask you, you're with the Chinese American uh, Citizens Alliance in Orange County. Uh, one of the issues, obviously, the country is facing is the issue of uh, shortages uh, the supply chain seems to be a little rocky at the moment. Uh, what is the impact of that rockiness uh, in the uh, area where you live and in the people and communities that you represent? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's had a huge impact with um, 80 ships sitting out in the Long Beach, uh, right outside the Long Beach port. They cannot be processed because we don't have enough truckers or trucks to meet you know, the uh, holiday demand. And I, di I did write an op-ed about this, which is on uh, several outlets mm -hmm. um, about just how these emission standards here in California were so out of control. And this happened a few years back and now we're seeing the effects of it. Um, it's um, it's government doing the basically the, the dumbest thing they can and it's affecting the livelihoods of people and you know in the in the supermarkets we're not um, you know we're seeing like ridiculous prices for pork and other meats I mean and then uh, shelves that are not stocked because a lot of uh, the stuff that we consume is imported from China imported from Asia and it's sitting at those ports thank God for Governor DeSantis that actually is helping to alleviate that problem right now. But yeah, definitely a huge impact here. Did we, and this is for everybody, I'm gonna let our people here in Chicago respond first. Did, did we as a nation learn anything from the early days of COVID when it appeared that so much of our medical needs in this country were tied to manufacturing in China? And so if we needed something, we had to wait for the, the Chinese to respond to, to build the, uh, uh, the resuscitators and, and some of the, uh, some of the uh, even uh, equipment that was needed. Uh, did we learn anything? Has, has, have we become less <laughs> reliant on China? I think I am going to start with you on this one, Mark, but I do want to get reaction from in Chicago. Are we more or less reliant on China and Chinese uh, trade today than we were three years ago? I think it's more reliant. I mean, even with uh, Trump's tariffs, um, it seems that we've been in a bad habit since the 90s when uh, basically our administration decided to be commingled with China for 30 years, giving them so many benefits. Um, uh, basically, we're giving um, competitive economic advantage away to them like it was free candy. But now um, 
uh, we are so used to that and our manufacturing has been brought overseas. I think uh, the last president tried to bring some of that manufacturing back, but in the end, um, still, we're still we're still pretty reliant, and that's why we're in the situation we're in. And then our reaction to COVID was really, um, you know, I felt that as a population, we've gotten so complacent that even a pandemic crisis like that, and the shortages of toilet paper, shortages of masks, and every all the PPE that was made overseas, we still were relying on that. And even our governor here, Gavin Newsom, decided to go into a ridiculous like $5 billion deal, I believe, where he was purchasing masks from China um, for something like $5 a mask, which was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But this goes to show how intertwined and Great. interwoven uh, the Chinese and American economies are. Okay. And I don't see that changing anytime soon, especially okay. within this administration. Mike Miller, question to you is, have we not learned anything from uh, the beginning of this process? Are we more reliant today than we were three years ago on China? Uh, I think it could be about the same. And, and we have learned something that, you know, if, if you trade with somebody who is clearly your ally and a safe ally, that's not exactly an issue. So if these things were coming from Canada, it would not be nearly as much issue. But here's the big problem I see is that uh, President Xi seems to want to go back to the Maoist type uh, economy. He's trying to put much more control upon the Chinese economy, and he's trying to become much more politically and militarily um, adventuresome. I want and to follow up, I, Mike, I want, you to I want you to follow up on that, but we do have to pause. I want to hear from uh, Dan and Chris here in Chicago as well. I'm Bruce Dumont from coast to coast, border to border, and around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, <laughs> tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. 
Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm gonna take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont, we continue, and I uh, wanted to get uh, Dan Johnson and uh, Chris Veronis into the discussion of uh, uh, what's been happening uh, insofar as the, the, the business breakup and, and all the problems we're having with our delivery system. Uh, Dan, I'll let you tackle it first. You know, in manufacturing, it just reminds me of a little bit about what we talked about last hour, <clears throat> where Donald Trump's a big talker about doing something on manufacturing, but it's all just empty bluff and bravado, where Joe Biden delivers because the infrastructure bill, all this stuff, this investment, most of it is by American requirements. So it's a significant but major But what has he investment. done to deliver all the stuff that's on uh, the freighters outside uh, Just like Los with Angeles. the COVID shots and vaccines, a 24-7 operation of competence back in the White House. Wow. It's fantastic. Just like we all got our shots in our arms, except for the people that want to believe in, you know, oh, don't worry, the, the pandemic won't get me. Anybody who wants one, thanks to the competence of the Biden administration, got one which I'm personally very grateful for. Anyone who got them because of the confidence, competence, competence, and confidence in the Biden administration got it because of the visionary of the Trump administration who said to the pharmaceutical companies, boys, get your act together. Don't leave the room until you have a vaccine. On the warp speed, I'll give them some credit on that. Good, good. It's nice when I hear Democrats give... That's, that was, that's a rather significant and saying, "Hey, I'll, we're going to buy it. We'll buy it, and if it doesn't work, we'll still buy it." Good. I'll give a, I'll give credit on that. But let's be honest about their absolute incompetence at distributing these the stuff. Uh, I mean, it was didn't, a true I, joke. I, I believe your question was about the supply chain. Yes, and, and <laughs> manufacturing. Take, take close notes, uh, <clears throat> like at what what Dan's doing right now. A page right out of Terry McAuliffe's playbook. Yes, that's right. That's uncalled for, Senator. Trump. Senator, Just that's uncalled back, for. Go, go back to Trump. That's uncalled for, So Senator. it failed for Terry McAuliffe, Dan. <laughs> and it'll fail if Democrats continue continue to use this chew toy in 2022, so, okay. which they no doubt will. Okay, well, I'll, I'll how, say, who, is, who is responsible for this, then? Who is responsible for those uh, freighters uh, sitting outside well, uh, Los Angeles Harbor? There, I, I think, look, supply chains 
um, don't become disrupted. They become overloaded. And I think you could draw a, a dotted line from the stimulus and the, the spending bills to this artificial spike in demand. Um, and, and so the, the, there has been uh, um, a cautionary notes um, all throughout the early Biden administration about running the economy hot. Wait a minute. Those were all ignored. And now we're seeing all these inflationary pressures. We're seeing uh, the rise of skimflation, where your dollar is buying much less Wait, because Mike service Miller, do you, is being sacrificed. Do you right. agree with that? What was just said? Uh, on the ground here, I can tell you the gas prices and our food prices have shot up. I mean, I had to fill up for four seventy nine last night I mean, a, a gallon. It's ridiculous. And, you know, all of this, um, I'm sorry to say um, there is no way around it. The Democrats have owned the, gov the state government here for about over a decade now, since about 2010, since uh, 2011, since uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger left office. So there is no finger pointing to Republicans who have had no power and are in the super minority. I mean, th th this has been incompetence from the emission standards I talked to you guys about. Um, you know, they're making uh, people get rid of perfectly functional trucks just because they're old and don't meet certain emission standards. And now businesses have to get rid of them, which is why there's not enough trucks. Those trucks are being sold to people in Mexico, in Arizona. And they're, you know, it, and, and right now it's actually causing more emissions issues because because of the demand and the need for these trucks, they have to drive Mark, 300 miles or so. All right, Mark, one second. Mark, I, I, I mean, want to go to I, ridiculous. Mark, I want to go to Mike uh, Miller and get his response to that same question. To what extent are these uh, uh, lowered emission or, or raised emission standards, uh, in your view, part of the at least the trucking piece of uh uh, these delays and fiscal stimulus. Well, they, and fiscal they're all limits. part of it. Uh, there's there's a bunch of things going on. I've read some articles by people who are mm -hmm. uh, experts in logistics. First off, you have to get the the container off the ship, and they were only running two instead of three shifts a day. Mm -hmm. And then you have to you have to put it onto a truck or a railroad, and they don't have the railroad cars and they don't have the trucks because they don't have the drivers. Because why would a non-union driver want to sit in line for three hours and not be paid? He's paid by the, or she is paid by the mile, not by sitting there. Uh, on top of that, once you get the container emptied, you have to have somewhere to put it. And there's not enough space to put the empty containers. And then you have to get it back out into the ocean. And that's another problem. So it, it's a bunch of things coming together. And one thing that is interesting, I, I know that uh, the, the Secretary of Transportation was kind of missing in action when all of this was going down. Would At least judge. they could have showed some kind of, of concern about mm -hmm. it. But, you know, when you also brought up the question of inflation. Now, normally inflation is not directly tied to government spending unless the government spending is funded by the creation of money. And what we have right now is that the Federal Reserve has been buying a lot of treasuries and raising the size of its um, of its portfolio. And this is putting money into it in an economy that's already very, very close to full employment. And the last thing you want to do is pour that kind of gasoline on top of an economy that's already doing well. It doesn't make employment grow that much faster. It tends to make prices grow more quickly. Mm -hmm. So uh, there is a concern that I thought the inflation could be temporary. But now that this bill has passed and if the Fed funds it through the printing of money, I think the inflation could be more of a problem like Larry Summers, uh, Mr. Obama's 
financial or, or economic advisor mm -hmm. is very concerned that we are in for a lengthy period of high inflation. One other issue that uh, was discussed a couple of weeks ago in this program by uh, uh, Dan Rowan, who is with the uh, uh, Transport uh, Topics uh, radio program on uh, Sirius XM Satellite Radio, and uh, he was bringing up the point that one of the reasons why there are is a dwindling number of uh, qualified truck drivers is that to get your driver's license, you have to be, and to maintain a job with any of the major companies, you have to pass a drug test. And many people just can't pass a drug test because they're smoking too much pot. And the states that have changed their laws vis-a-vis -vis marijuana have not made adjustments that's true. Elsewhere in, the, in 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 the employment within that state. That's true. And and he said that 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 that's has right. become that's part of that's become this national yeah. problem we have is we have young drivers and most of the drivers are young or should be young, they can't pass a drug test because so they this becomes have to. a national security issue. They shouldn't have to because. The they shouldn't have to be passing a drug test? No, because marijuana... I disagree with that. You don't have to pass an alcohol test. If you, Most states no. in the country is moving at a place where marijuana is okay. But our drug testing has not kept pace with that. And we should be clear that yeah. marijuana is not mm -hmm. should not be any prohibition to employment. Do you agree with that, Mark Eng? I absolutely agree with that. I think it's very practical. And you know, another a component in this, I think the bigger effect is that there's less young people entering the trucking industry. Right. So my organization has quite a few members that are in logistics, um, in the logistics business, mm -hmm. and they're having such a hard time recruiting. Even though you can make six figures as a trucker, you could basically work for two, three years and then save enough money for a house. But yet people aren't entering. But there's another roadblock to this, which is the AB5 legislation that was enforced in the beginning of last year, 2020, uh, right before pandemic hit. And that basically requires a lot of, um, you know, the trucking um, industry is really made up of a lot of owner operators that are 1099. And now with this requirement to W2, including this industry, which has not gotten its exemption, we are actually working towards that with the Californian uh, tra uh, transportation um, organizations that I'm with, we're trying to push for an exemption for the industry because it makes no sense the way it's modeled. You want these owner operators to be uh, maintaining their own vehicles and not put that burden to the people that need to move stuff around or, or, or have that need to. So um, that is another big component of why there's this major shortage of truck drivers. Yeah. Chris Veronis. This is an inevitable consequence of what happens. And I, and I do believe that um, many drug laws should be decriminalized. Um, I don't believe in Schedule One um, for marijuana on, on the federal level. The the the, the way the oh, DEA yeah. classifies it. Mm -hmm. But but what what I'm saying is what we're talking about here. They're failing drug tests. This is an inevitable consequence of lawmakers in their arrogance trying to take a nip tuck approach to social policy because they're desperate for the tax revenue. You saw it in this state. And surprise, mm -hmm. surprise, yes, drug, uh, the testing laws, the testing regime has not cut pace with the liberalized drug laws. You know what else hasn't? Cops 
have a hard time determining whether someone's intoxicated with marijuana. It's insane. So I'm, I'm, I agree with the spirit of, of what we're hearing here. I'm opposed to this slapdash approach to passing legislation just because you're going to get a ton of revenue because everyone's smoking pot now. Go ahead, Dan. Well, that's a lot to unpack because if you say you don't think marijuana should be illegal, but then you object to I'm legislators saying, I'm saying do policy smartly. Uh, they should have hired you, Dan. You could have done some pretty good policy. It is hard for me for to disagree with you on that, Chris Veronis. <laughs> it is difficult for me to say anything but See? bravo. We agree huzzah. on some things. Listen yeah. to what Chris Veronis has to he say. Just hire, he just wants to hire you. <laughs> Well, uh, when we, we actually got to pause right now, but I do want to say when we come back, I want to talk about some of the other issues that we discussed earlier in the broadcast, and that what, that's what happened in Virginia, and also what uh, responsibility, if any, uh, the U.S. government has to compensate parents who came here illegally, and somehow in our system, their children got lost. Back shortly from Elk Grove Village, Illinois. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, <laughs> tell me what to do. Cannonball! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. 
Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont, we are back uh, with Beyond the Beltway. And uh, in this segment, I'm going to let our... uh, guests uh, via Zoom take a moment to introduce themselves, and we're going to begin with Mike Miller in the great state of Washington. Mike, tell everybody a little bit about uh, yourself. Yes. Uh, thank you for uh, the invitation to join you tonight. It's always great to be on. Great. Uh, I got my PhD at the University of Pittsburgh, 1980, Took, and I've had literally one job my entire professional life. I've been at DePaul for 41 years teaching macroeconomics, uh, great school and great experience, great colleagues, and uh, couldn't be happier. It's just that the university has given me this uh, this chance to teach online and uh, and live somewhere else for this one year. And I think uh, I very much appreciate the university doing that. And uh, so I'm enjoying Washington State while also being a DePaul Blue Demon. And anyone listening to this program who has enjoyed you as a guest, they could take your course, right? They could... Uh... Hire you to teach oh, them sure. something? Uh, just okay. have them write to me. I have some video stuff I could I could give you. I okay. even have a, a, I guess you'd call it a textbook on business conditions analysis, on reading GDP Whoa. and what the different indicators are and, well, and macroeconomic way of thinking and so forth. We could discuss I give it to my students night. for yeah. free. I'd be more than happy to give it to the folks for free. How about it? Oh, okay. Well, then uh, they should probably send a thing. Link the show link, notes. We should link link the show notes. <laughs> That's right. Uh, send your notes to uh, beyondthebeltway.com, and we'll get those to uh, it's a, there. There are There's a perk for listeners. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. Is a, a and benefit. it's free. And it's been, and yeah, it's I just free. asked that they not try to get it published or something like that. I, I, I wrote it so that the students didn't have to buy a $300 textbook that didn't exactly match what I do. Oh, and and my students have told me it reads smoothly and it, it, it's clear. And so excellent. Uh, it does give you some it idea about, perk. you know, we've talked yeah, about absolutely. inflation, it unemployment. It beats a tote uh, bag from W. Exchange w. rates, <laughs> interest rates. <laughs> Yeah, All right, so. Mark Eng, what are you offering? Uh, what are you offering tonight? <laughs> Tell everybody a little bit about your background. It better be good too. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't have any freebies. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But let me let me ask you, Mark. Tell, tell everybody a little bit about your background. I mentioned the the Chinese uh, American Citizens Alliance of Orange County. What exactly does that mean? What do you do? Um, that's one of the organizations I'm uh, connected to. Um, I'm the president. I'm not the founder. That was founded in 1896 to advocate for oh. uh, railroad workers back in the day. So it's a longstanding organization. It is. Um, uh, nonpartisan org that's, you know, we do stuff in the community, but I also have a few other orgs that, you know, I've, I've founded, um, you know, we do a lot of work in the community, whether it's uh, bread giveaways, whether it's, um, 
protests in front of the school board these days, lots of different types of activities where we get really deep into the issues in the community. Mm-hmm. This year, it's law and order. As you know, in um, Los Angeles, we got a DA that is not prosecuting crimes. His name is George Gascon. So we're working to recall him and to make sure that we have our safe uh, cities here in Southern California. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, I am also a, a journalist and um, you know freelance writer, basically on my my spare time. Mm-hmm. I'm a financial advisor by trade, so I really keep up on the money side of things. Mm-hmm. So um, that's pretty much what I bring to the table. And what? I wish I had freebies like Mike, but I don't. Mark, <laughs> you mentioned the school boards. Were, were you in a terrorist lineup? Um, <laughs> Merrick Garland, were, were you and your your team? Uh, just just curious. You know, that is a very good question because um, we actually made the news just last week. Um, uh, Really, it was more the um, focus on the school board trustee president of Los Alamitos. Her name is Marlis Davidson, and she actually cussed out one of the parents. And that caught caught on the hot mic and it went viral. So um, thankfully here in California, we aren't being marked, at least, uh, you know, publicly too much i'm sure we're on a list somewhere but um that is definitely something we're pushing back against it's the arrogance of a lot of these elected officials that are supposed to have our kids best interests at heart that are not doing so so Mm -hmm. that is something i feel very strongly about and i'm actually the that the lead proponent in our statewide initiative uh for something called the educational freedom act where we're trying to get our state dollars that go into education into an hsa or an fsa type of account it's called an esa an educational savings account for parents to choose to use whether it's for public school <clears throat> private school charter schools or any other accredited uh school even homeschool programs so that's kind of what i'm going to be busy with advocating for the next year for the last uh, couple of years uh one of the uh, one of the top topics of the national news media, which seems to have uh, gone all over the country, is focusing in on Asian hate crimes. Uh, lots going on at, at state and local levels about it. Uh, as an Asian American, how real is that problem in your view, Mark? I think it is very real in urban areas. It is very not real in suburban and rural areas. And we have the data to uh, prove it. You know, I I work very closely with the FBI and um, our local chapter here in the West Covina, East L.A., North Orange County area. And um, that's a very suburban area. And we had one incident. And that was almost basically a verbal and light physical altercation. Now, if you go to places like Oakland, New York, you definitely see from the viral videos things are happening. But that is an urban problem. And, you know, uh, let's have some real talk here. Most of it is black on Asian crime. And that is not to say anything about the black community as a whole. But the statistics don't lie. There's 5,000 more black on Asian crimes than Asian on black crimes. So that should really, um, that ratio is staggering. Um, the ratio between white, uh, black on white crimes to white on black crimes is not nine to one. And even that is big. But we're looking at 5,000 for Asians. And so mm-hmm. I think everyone needs to explore some nuance and not jump to conclusions or uh, paint this false white supremacy narrative, which I find very laughable. I grew mm-hmm. up in the burbs. I know 
Um, white people have been very good to the Asian immigrants that have come mm -hmm. to Orange County, to other suburban areas, and helping uplift them to get to the place where we're basically a model minority and exceeding income um, medians and all of that um, and education levels, et cetera, et cetera. So, yes, let's not bite the hand that was very good to us. Mm -hmm. And uh uh, how would you describe the the relationship uh, nationwide, if you can, uh, about the, the the relationship between Chinese Americans and either the Democratic Party or the Republican Party? Does one party have a uh, have a, a leg up on the other insofar as getting support from those communities? Absolutely. What is it? The Democrats have made way better inroads um, to the Chinese community. And you know, it's very interesting because there's been, been this influx of Chinese immigrants coming in. And it's this new merchant class in China that rose up, um, you know, since the 90s, uh, where we gave them a leg up in a lot of the trade. And so a lot of them came here in during the Obama administration, actually seizing on the opportunities to buy up land, to buy up businesses and become a force here. And that is really the growth of San Gabriel Valley, while the Chinese, especially the Hong Kong immigrants that came after 97, were very much more conservative and Republican leaning. That was quickly replaced by an influx of more um, good. I, say, I call them good fo foot soldiers for the Chinese Communist Party. And a lot of them are, um, you know, involved or have family members that are high-ranking officials in that very hierarchical culture in China. And they come here, and a lot of them have run for office. I've seen, you know, I've dealt with many of them in, in the business side of things, and it's, um, it's really shocking. And um, it, down to our media, a lot of the Chinese-American media, especially in the last four years, was very anti-Trump. So they were all basically... Um, towing the same line in terms of the messages they were putting out. So the Chinese American community specifically is very uh, Democrat and the Vietnamese American community is very Republican. So there's a lot of nuance even um, within Asians. I want to make sure that I, I heard you correctly. You are alleging that many Chinese Americans who have become Democrats you think are supportive of the Chinese Communist Party, and if exactly. so, and if so, yeah, how would that man? Uh, if so, know, we've researched uh, a lot okay. of the people we deal with in the community, okay. and I wrote an article about it. You can find it on Washington Examiner. But let me ask you really this, Mark. While, while you're while, while you're here, while these, you're here, uh, wait one uh, second. While you're while, while you're connected. here, hang on just a second, because you're talking over me and nobody can hear either of us. Uh, because you've made this allegation on this program, uh, is there some specific is there some specific issue that is a red uh, signal or red red light to you that someone may not be loyal to this country based on the issues that you have dealt with? And please don't send us anywhere else. Absolutely. Uh, where do you think they are? Yeah. And, you know, um, it's funny because a lot of us came together on the Prop 16 issue, which last year Prop 16 was the affirmative action um, proposition that mm -hmm. would have hurt Asians across the board. Yes. So I got to work with a lot of these people on a common issue. But I, I know that their loyalties are to the Chinese Communist Party because we followed the money and we did some investigations on some of them that ran for a state assembly, that ran for city council. And we saw a lot of funds that, you know, came 
from very questionable sources. And, you know, I wrote about this in my Washington Examiner article. You can just look up CCP infiltration. It's very strong here in California, especially Southern California, where a lot of people don't run for school board. They don't run for city council and they're, they're able to get in. And a lot of business interests, um, even for some of the like Taiwanese Americans. And as you know, Taiwan is the free China, but Taiwan itself, a lot of the second generations have been enticed by the money that CCP has, um, you know, wined and dined um, some okay. of these uh, people in the community. To Mark, get them on we've, their side. we've got to pause. When we come back, I'm going to let you uh, give uh, that connectivity uh, some exposure. If people want to follow up on it, it's a rather devastating piece of the news, but we'll let you repeat it when we come back. I'm Bruce Dumont. This is Beyond the Beltway. We all have the ability to touch the lives of those around us. To someone going through a difficult time, a text, a call, or a visit can mean so much. Reach out to the veterans in your life today. Let them know they're not alone. One simple act can make all the difference. That's the power of one. If you're a veteran in crisis or no one who is, visit VeteransCrisisLine.net for free 24-7 confidential support. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. 
sweet. Oh. Now I can speak. Okay. Uh, Dan Johnson, uh, you were very curious about what Mark was talking about. So well, did I you mean. Wanna, you wanted to challenge him on his allegations. Well, obviously, it's illegal for foreign governments to finance campaigns. And the implicit assumption that successful Democrats that happen to be Chinese Americans are somehow part of the Chinese Communist Party you know, seems a little it's bit It's not just Democrats. Aggressive. It's Republicans, too. Well, all right. Okay. Well, I appreciate that bipartisan view. But, but, but clearly, it's illegal for a foreign government to spend money mm-hmm. okay. on elections. All right, in the let's United go States. back to Mark. Mark, how, how would somebody track that down then? You you did in your the article which it's, you referenced. Uh, yeah, it's 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 obvious when a assembly candidate has a hundred thousand dollars put into their account and they can't tell you exactly what their business is. But of course it's going through what looks like a legit business. So these type of things I know and also from a top top down level, um, I encourage everyone to read General Robert Spaulding's book, which really talks about how deep that infiltration from the CCP has been in the last 10 years, especially down to our media outlets. Let me, let me um, interrupt LA if I may. Times, for example, let is Chinese-owned now. And, you know, I've seen this from the Chinese-American media. Mark, um, some of them include World Journal, Sinkow Daily. Uh, all of these were all chanting the same line. Mark, it's almost like Mark, Mark, Associated Mark, Press. Mark, let us, There's not that you're not, well, you're not letting us... Let me, You're not let me letting us interrupt, so uh, be be prevalent of that. This, the, so not this is a this is more, more open, aware of it. This is a more open question. The authoritarians around the world are getting stronger, and they are challenging democracies. Right. So, what is our responsibility? We're lucky to be, you know, born into a country with the rule of law, mm-hmm. right? democracy and freedom. How are we best to challenge this coming more muscular authoritarian thugs, whether it's Russia or, or China trying to push a non-democratic way of life and non-freedom? How, how are we supposed to push back against that? I want to I go to Mike Miller with a response to that question, and then go back to Mark. Go ahead, Mike Miller. Wow, that you know that's a Dan. I'm I guess I'm a little surprised that you're you're talking about the the flexing of the muscles by the Russians and by. But of course, Russia is, is isn't even the equal to the size of the state of Texas when it comes to the economy. They're essentially a gas station with nukes. But China is not that. China. And just think of what the Chinese people can do. All you have to do is look at Hong Kong to see when the Chinese people are free, what an amazing society they can create. And so one of my concerns is that the Chinese are finally feeling, were feeling some freedom. And now the, the premier is, is uh, taking all that back again. And, uh, and I, I, I'm sho- I want to say I'm shocked. Maybe that is the right word uh, by Mark's comment about uh, some influence from Beijing in terms of people here and leaders in in the United States. But I guess I'm really not because I think that's part of their of their process. So then are we this is what authoritarians do. Before we uh, we run out of time, what about Eric Swalwell? Swalwell, Where did that story uh, go in your view, Mark? 
uh, I think Eric Swalwell is a great that Fang Fang uh, honeypot uh, uh, spy was really indicative of a lot of you know the Chinese uh, students that are coming in here and trying to influence and get involved with the government. I noticed that here community organizing. I said, why are these college students so interested in politics? That just seems very weird to me because, you know, if I were an exchange student in, let's say, Russia, I don't know how involved I would get with Russian politics. But this is the type of thing that, you know, has been, um, I think, you know, Mike just hit it right. It's um, authoritarian governments. This is what they do. And I think China was very smart about delayed gratification in the execution of their plan. What they did was they played the long game and they just crept in the frog in the boiling soup. Uh, versus, you know, throwing it in the hot pot right away. So I think that's um, that's really what went on here. And um, th- and it's funny because the news media really just touched upon the Eric Swalwell situation, then departed it very quickly. Yeah. So the word is not it's getting no out, but people in the know here definitely know that it's real and it's happening. Quick, ch- quick challenge back to all my Republican oh. friends. Mm-hmm. Clearly, the most damning, scary scepter of authoritarianism happened on january 6th a sincere question to my republican friends (laughs) how do we in a bipartisan way stand up to authoritarianism which is a real threat and protect our rule of law and our freedoms or our democracies in a way that we could say yeah sometimes the republican party presidential nominee makes a horrible mistake and does in fact go down the wrong path how do we find that common ground you're comparing um a disorder the democratic one second chris veronis chris veronis trying to jab chris veronis and not have you have your livelihood or your fritz chris veronis well all i have to say is um dan i want you to speak more loudly into the mic because the more exposure people have to you comparing a bunch a, a disorganized rabble to uh, communist China and uh, uh, autocratic yeah, it's just a Russia, it, it, inf- it, it infuriates people. It's it's like a, a it's such a false comparison. Um, what they did was wrong, but I mean, give me a break. Okay, Mark, uh, you, you're, you're okay. going to compare it. Last word to Mark. Last word to Mark. Mark, go ahead. Mark. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, uh, um, that whoever just said that, it is incredibly, it's such a bad comparison. And it de-elevates or it basically lowers the level of conversation we're having here. No, January 6th, please don't even bring it up. It just makes it makes absolutely no no sense to compare the two. But really, uh, um, authoritarianism in China, look at what they did to the people in Hong Kong. I mean, Mark, and we are out of time. We're going to fade your microphone because we have no more time for you. But thank you for joining us this evening. Mike Miller, thank you for joining us. Chris Baronis, Dan Johnson, we thank you all for joining us this evening. Fritz Goldman helped make this program possible, as he does all the time. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man. 
You, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org.